Well, happy Mother's Day. Um, I know that one day in which you get breakfast in bed but still have to clean up the mess is probably not appropriate, thanks, uh, for the past year. But anyway, hope you have a good day. Uh, Welcome to those joining us uh, upstairs and at Crossroads in Highland Park. So one of the things that is great about a great novel is that it teaches you things that go to your heart, not just to your head. And it sort of smuggles truth under the radar, and you realize later on that you've been impacted by some rather significant, profound, universal truths. And uh, my favorite novel of all time is Les Miserables, Victor Hugo. Uh, and I've read the book a couple times, and I've seen every movie, foreign and domestic, that has been made about it and been to the Broadway uh, uh, production a couple times. And if you've seen that, um, you know that, that the big idea that Hugo is sort of smuggling under the radar is the power of grace. And that starts the very first scene where Jean Valjean is, is given additional silver by the priest. He's, he was arrested, he had stolen the silver, and, and the police bring him to the to the priest, thinking that he's going to be arrested and sent back to jail. And he says, no, actually, I'm glad that you brought him because you didn't take all of it. I gave you all of this. And it's, so it's this shocking, he, 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 need, he deserved justice. He doesn't get justice. He not, not only gets mercy, he gets grace. He gets a gift in place of it. And there's more examples of that. But um, one of the other big ideas, perhaps a little bit less appreciated about Les Miserables, is that it also portrays the law. So Javert is the, is, the, is the police officer, the detective who haunts Jean Valjean. And he, is, he illustrates the law as being uh, sort of ugly and narrow-minded and graceless. And uh, the law can break us. The law can, can direct us. The law can punish us. But the law can't bring life. And uh, it's, it, it's a great illustration of that in the movie. I've, I've played the opening scene of uh, Les Miserables a couple times setting up sermons. There's a, there's a scene in which law is confronted by grace and can't process it. And it, 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 it sort of brings an end to law and, and Javert, the character, will end his life. And it's a powerful scene and I thought briefly about uh, playing it and then I thought... Yeah, no, not on Mother's Day. That's probably not the right Mother's Day lead-in video. So I'll just say this. It does a great job of setting up Galatians 3, where we are thinking about law. So this series has been, uh, this series has been based on the letter that Paul wrote to this group of, of Christ followers in northern Turkey who are being misled and, and I've sort of tried to hammer home a couple big ideas over the course of the last month, principally saying, look, religion says, obey, and you will be accepted. It, it, is, it is faith plus works equals salvation. Paul is thundering back against that message to say, no, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity in general, Galatians in particular, is making the point that we are accepted and that leads to obedience. That God is loving, 
that he takes the lead, that he extends grace to us. And if we accept that grace, receive that grace, that leads to a changed life that leads to to works. And so the equation is faith plus nothing leads to salvation plus works. Christianity is not this I do, it's this he did. Christianity is not... In my efforts, I'm going to be a good person so God will love me. That's not it. That's a complete, that's a complete non-starter. Uh, Christianity is this he did. Christ died for me. Jesus substituted himself for me. And so Paul is making this point uh, in this letter. And uh, we've been developing that. Um, and, and I've done my best to sort of say, look, it's, you have to understand that, that we're not saying that the works don't matter. Right? Uh, works do matter. Works validate our faith. Works help other people. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Works lead to rewards for us. But I've said that we, we, we have to understand that it's, that, that it's not works that are going to take us where we need to go. And we also need to understand when we're looking at Galatians that it's not the specific instances, it's not the examples that this group uh, this group of religious Jews that are sort of trying to shift the focus of the Galatian Christians. It's not their issues, which is circumcision and special diet and holy days. Those are not the things that we, that we get imposed upon today in many churches to do in order for God to love us. Those are just placeholders for the things we add, whatever those may be. And in conservative churches, it tends to be, you know, dress code and and church attendance and and a whole bunch of other sort of rules about what we can and can't do. And in liberal churches, it tends to be certain social causes that we have to embrace. So those are not the issues. But we come to this point where we have to figure out what to do with the issues that God brings up. So, so far I've been arguing for a month, I've been arguing that that your relationship with God is contingent upon what God has done. Accepting God's grace. I'm now going to lead you into a section where there's a whole lot of discussion about the law. So, one of the things that makes a Jew a Jew in in the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that separates the Jews from everybody else is the law. Starting in Exodus 20, right? The Jews are, are given the law. They're given the Ten Commandments. They're given all these things that come their way, and, and it separates them from everybody else. So the question now becomes, well, what are we supposed to do with those things now? Are we bound by the Ten Commandments? I mean, is, are we supposed to keep the Ten Commandments for God to love us? How do we understand the law? And, and this, is, this is critical stuff in, in part because it can shape how we think about God. C.S. Lewis famously said that what a person thinks about God is the second most important thing about that person. Which begs the question uh, of what's the first most important, right? And Lewis would say what God thinks of that person is the most important thing about that person. The second most important thing about that person, about you, is what you think about God. We all have a God. Atheists have a God. Everybody has something that that sort of is first in their life, that they sort of organize their life around, that they pursue, that sort of defines them. 
It could be way far afield. It could be money. It could be power. It could be sex. It could be food. It could be way far away. Or it can be relatively close, but still off. Right? It can be a God who, who begins to be the God who's represented uh, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of, of Jesus. It can be close to God, but we skew him by thinking he's interested in other things. And the law is one of the areas where people get off. So if, if you think, if your thought, if your first thought of God is, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to try harder, I need to be better, right? If you think of God and you think, God wants me to raise my game, right, then you're, you're headed down the wrong path. That, that, that is Javert. That is joyless. That is being a Pharisee. Uh, your first understanding of God, as Paul is describing this, needs to be grace and love. He loves me. <laughs> he loves me. He's for me. He's, he's the perfect father who is for me. So we've got to have that platform. But we also have to understand what we do with the law that he gives. What are the rules about the rules? And that's what we get in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So if you have a Bible you want to turn there, you can. And while you're doing that, let me say just a couple things to sort of set the context here. Because law is a complicated topic. I mean, in English, the word law gets used to mean all kinds of things, right? The law refers to a bill that's been signed by the president or by a governor. The law refers to a bunch of city codes about parking and other things, right? The law refers to, to our description of properties of nature. There's the law of gravity. The law refers to the police, right? Look out, here comes the law, right? So in English, the word is used in a variety of different ways. In the Bible, the word law is used in a variety of different ways. It refers, first of all, to the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. In Hebrew, Torah means law. The first five books were referred to as the law. It refers to the Ten Commandments. But it refers not just to the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses, Mount Sinai, Exodus 20, more law follows. All the way through Numbers 20, there's additional rules, laws being given by God to the Jewish people. So law refers to all kinds of things. So there's a couple things you have to understand in order for Galatians 3 to make sense. First of all, there are three different categories of laws in the Old Testament. Civil, ceremonial, and moral. Okay? Civil refers to the rules governing the nation of Israel when God was her king. So after they leave Egypt, they're slaves, Moses comes, they leave Egypt, they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years, right? And then there's a whole period of, of conquest and judges where they've got judges leading. There's, all, there's hundreds of years where God is the king of Israel. And there is law given by God, given through Moses, governing the nation of Israel. They're a theocracy. Okay, so we are not a theocracy, there are sometimes people 
talk like we're a theocracy, but we're not a theocracy. God is not our king. We have elected officials. We're a republic. We have democratic process. We have have lots of government. We have lots of civil government with millions of laws. (laughs) We don't need the civil laws that we find in the Old Testament. Okay, So they're no longer in play. Secondly, there are ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws, and you think principally of the book of Leviticus, which was the which were the guidelines given to the Levites, the priestly caste, about how to, how to adjudicate the sacrificial system. What kind of sacrifices were required for what kinds of sins? What needed to be done? Okay, So there's this whole ceremonial law. Well, that law has been fulfilled in Christ. There's no sacrificial system anymore. Christ died for our sins. It put an end to that. All of that, all of that Old Testament bloodshed that we shed was all just a placeholder pointing forward to what Jesus was going to do. When Christ died in our place, there is no more, there's no need for a sacrificial system again. So those laws have been fulfilled. Then there's this third category of law, the moral law. So think principally, sort of the flagship of the moral law would be the Ten Commandments. Okay, so the moral law is what we talk about today when we talk about what do we do with the law. Now, second thing that you have to understand is that the law serves several purposes for us. First of all, uh, the law is a curb. It, it sort of, it, it helps curb sin and bad behavior. The law points out consequences for our bad activity or occasionally punishment. For the most part, God doesn't punish us for our sins He's just trying to save us from the consequences of our sins. And so those get advertised, and for a society, it helps curb the behavior of people so that society works. A second reason for the law, second function of the law, is that it's a compass. So if we have come to faith in Christ... Right? We, we say, okay, God loves me. God is for me. I have made a decision to accept Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has come to indwell me. I have a relationship with Christ. Now, in a very different format, I'm trying to figure out what does it look like to be a good person? What should I do? What, what laws should I follow? What does a good life look like? And so the law can be a compass to help us understand how to live. See, please, un- please understand this. The law of God is never arbitrary. Right? He doesn't say, he doesn't come up with a list of made-up rules that he wants us to follow because he likes those rules. Right? The law of God flows out of who God is. It flows out of the character of God. It flows out of the world God created And so he is simply stating, right, if you do that, you will eventually get hurt. There's a sense in which we break laws. There's another sense in which we break ourselves against those laws. The laws are the laws, and we're going to suffer. And so the law is a compass for us. But the big purpose of the law is to help us see ourselves more clearly. It's a mirror. Right? So when we, when we hold the mirror up, when we read the law, we realize what God expects of us. And then we realize we, we can't do it. 
So if you think that you're a pretty good person, then I think you're either clueless or you really haven't ever looked at the law. Because if you've looked at the law, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's commentary on the Ten Commandments, if you've looked at the law, then you say, oh yeah, no, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. Like, I can't do that for a day. So it's not like you say, okay, right now I can swim 200 yards, but in order to fulfill the law, I need to be able to swim a mile. I'm really going to have to work at this. No, it's right now I can swim 200 yards, and in order to fulfill the law, I'm going to have to swim to Europe. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm not, missing, I'm not missing by a little bit. So the law is helping us understand we are really in trouble. Like, it's not a small, we don't, the, your problem is not that you tell white lies. Your problem is not a bad thought life. Your problem isn't, you know, that you haven't done all the good things that you should do. That's just, those are symptoms of the problem. The problem runs deep. We have a broken heart. We have a sin issue. We are, we are, we are profoundly broken. And the law is a mirror that helps us understand how much trouble we're in. A third thing that you need to understand in order for Galatians 3 to make sense is that there are boundaries on our understanding of the law on both sides. What I have been talking about, what Paul has been talking about in Galatians 1 and 2 initially, has been uh, about legalism, right? About, about elevating the law, about saying, I will be a good person if I keep all these laws. So we're, we could go to Romans 6 and see the opposite problem, which is we would call uh, what we would call libertinism, saying, I'm, I'm, since I am saved by grace through faith, since I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, and I don't add anything to that, there were people writing to Paul saying, well, since what I do doesn't matter, then I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And if I sin, then grace abounds. And that's a good thing. More of God's grace, that's a good thing. So I'm going to do whatever I want. And I, I, I've, I've had several experiences with people who say that. I, in, in college, I was talking about Christ to uh, a fraternity brother. And he said, uh, no, I get it. I've listened to you before. If I accept Christ, I can do whatever I want. And that's my plan. Uh, for the next 10 to 15 years. So I'm going to do whatever I want, but I've got this relationship with God, so it's all good. So I don't have to worry about what I do. That's not exactly the way to think about this. Then a few years ago, there was a guy that came in to see me. He'd been at Christ Church for a few years. He was in his 70s. He and his wife had been married for over 50 years. And he said... uh, I'm, I'm leaving my wife, I'm tired of being married, and uh, I'm leaving, and uh, I understand you're going to try and talk me out of it, but I've, I've, been, I've been listening, and, and as I understand it, uh, I can do this, and then I'll repent after the divorce, and then I'll be good. I said, um, no, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 6. So we got, we got this one boundary that says, look, uh, we cannot elevate the law. We can't look at the law first. 
We got another one that says, we can't completely ignore what's going on here. So the question that we're trying to get at today is, how do I navigate life looking at grace and the law? What are the rules for the rules? How, how is it that I am supposed to live? What's the purpose for all the rules, all the commands that I find in Scripture? So we are in Galatians chapter 3, and uh, we begin with verse 1. You foolish Galatians. So remember Paul's, he's mad at the Judaizers for misleading the Galatian Christians. He's mad at the Galatian Christians for being duped. So the New English uh, Version translation says, calls the Galatians here, he calls them idiots. He just opens, you idiots. Uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he doesn't call them idiots, he just says, are you on drugs? Right? So there's, there's a sense in which he's saying, I can't believe what you were doing. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Right? Who's cast a spell on you? Who has, pull, who has blinded you to reality? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And this is, okay, so the crucifixion of Christ is the high water mark of all of history, right? Nothing is more significant in history than the death of Christ on the cross for you and for me. Nothing is, nothing, that, that would be the, the central point of this book is that God showed up and died in your place. Jesus substituted himself for you. Nothing is more significant than that. And so Paul says, look, I told you about this. I portrayed Christ as crucified. That's the main point. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith alone. Jesus did everything that needed to be done for you to be forgiven and have eternal life on the cross. I told you that. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So the Holy Spirit came. You read through the book of Acts and you see that one of the things that gets the the early Christians' attention, because they're all Jews, one of the things that gets the early Christians' attention and persuades them that that God is, is offering eternal life to Gentiles is that Gentiles are placing their faith in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. And they're prophesying and they're speaking in tongues. And, and, and the Jewish Christians are amazed. You can read about this with Peter. He's, he's amazed when this is happening. Like, oh my goodness. God is doing this work in Gentiles. And so Paul asks, how did that happen? Did that happen because you were so good, you kept the law? Or did it happen because you believed? Right? That's the whole purpose. It's the whole essence of the gospel that we believe are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh so after becoming children of God after being accepted by Christ after gaining eternal life because of what Christ has done after graciously receiving the gift of God are you now going to say okay I got it from now on I don't need that grace I'm just going to go ahead and work really hard and change things Have you experienced so much in vain, verse 4, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
So we then move into a section, verses 6 through 9, where Paul sort of argues with them or, or counters an argument that, that the Judaizers were making that, that he's, they clearly are saying to these Galatian Christians, look at Abraham. Abraham was saved by faith and by his works, by his dedication, by the things that he did. And so Paul just says, no, as a matter of fact, uh, you've got that wrong. And, and he takes them. Um, verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Um, And so verse 10, um, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue uh, to do everything written in the book of the law. Excuse me, I skipped verse 9. So those who rely on, no, all nations will be blessed through you. Oh my goodness. I need, a bigger, I need a bigger font. So, um. Okay, so um, Genesis 3.5, excuse me, Genesis 3.15 is the passage that Paul is going to quote here. So he's going to talk about Abraham, and he's going to say Abraham is not saved by, by his works. Abraham, Genesis 3.15, is justified by faith. Abraham enters into a relationship with God on the basis of his faith. It's clear, and that's what Paul is going to argue with them. He's going to point out that they've got Abraham wrong. Abraham was not saved by his works. He was justified. He was reckoned righteousness because of his faith. And then he goes on and he he gives us the gospel in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. It is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. So if you want to follow the law, if you think you're going to please God by being a good person, you need to hear Paul say, that's a dead end. You would have to keep absolutely every law 100% of the time. Cursed is anyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. The law cannot save you. Clearly, verse 11, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There's the gospel. Christianity is, at its essence, is about Christ substituting himself for you. It's not just that he paid the penalty for your sins. It's that there's this big exchange that happens. Christ steps into our place, takes our sins, pays the penalty. Christ puts us in his place. We get credit for Christ perfectly fulfilling the law. He perfectly, he perfectly fulfilled the law. He swam to Europe. He did everything that was required. The gospel says, by grace, you can get Christ's credit, have your sins forgiven. And so Paul is hammering home at this idea. We are saved by grace through faith. So the question comes up. What are we supposed to do then about the law? Are you supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Do they still apply? How do we, how do we think about it? What are the rules for the rules? 
Well, here's the rule. We're talking about the moral law, not the civil and ceremonial. Those are fulfilled in Christ. Here's the rule for the moral law. Keep the law, but keep it in its place. And keeping it in its place has to come first. It is a guide for us. It is a guide for us when our heart is full of an awareness of God's love. The first thing you need to think about, the first thing I need to think about when I think about God is his love. His love for me. I am accepted. It's he knows the worst about me. And in Christ, I have been forgiven and accepted. The first thing, the first thought has to go there. If I go to rules, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to pray longer, I need to try harder, I need to, if that's where I go, right, then we're Javert. <laughs> we're the law. And that leads, that leads to bad places. It's joyless. So what we need is to keep the law, but to keep it in its place. And that means we, we preach the gospel to ourselves first. We remind ourselves that God loved me so much he sent his son to die in my place. I am loved. I've got to start with God's goodness. I've got to start with God's grace. And then once I get that, then I say, okay, I want to be a good person. Not because I'm hoping that God will love me because I'm good. I want to be a good person because God loves me. I want, to, I want to be nice. I want to be more like Christ because of what I've been given. I want to be more kind. I want to be more generous. I want to be more thoughtful. I want to be more like Christ because of what I've been given. And then we look to the law because the law is a great guide for how we can live. It's a gift. What would, what would you pay if I said, I have got God's insight for how you can live a life that is going to work. Like, this is from God. I've got God's insight for how you can live a life that's going to work. That's the law. <laughs> and again, it, it's not a set of arbitrary rules and regulations. It comes out of God's character and the way he made the world to work. And so in light of that, we can choose to ignore the law and break ourselves against it, or we can say, this is part of God's love for me. He gave me directions. He gave me guidelines. And, and when I look at the law, I get guidelines, and I also get reminded, oh, yeah, I can't keep this. Right? I, can't, I, can't, I can't do this. Which drives me back to be thankful for the grace of God again. I realize again how broken I am and how much I need a Savior. So, there's going to be a lot more coming from Paul on the law and a lot more about how the way forward sort of assumes the law but is all driven by the Holy Spirit. When we get into Galatians 4, 5, and 6, fruit of the Spirit, other things, we're going to see it's all really, not just coming to faith is through the Spirit of God, but growing in Christ is through the Spirit of God. So we're going to see a lot more of that as we get into the later chapters. But, but the point he makes now is, like the law is a great friend, provided you keep it in its place. Keep the law, but keep it in its place. Let me pray for us.
Lord God Almighty, we thank you for grace. We thank you that when we were hostile, sinners, selfish, self-absorbed to the ultimate, that you sent your son to die for us and that everything that needs to be done for us to be forgiven has been done through Christ, your son, our Lord. We thank you for the gospel. We also thank you for the law. Help us not to be religious. Help us to fight our default approach to thinking this is about us and and to, to look to you and to look to your grace and to be amazed at that and out of that to, to yield ever more to your spirit and to see your laws, guidelines for how we can live a life that is in line with who you are and your gospel and your son. Father, I pray especially for those who show up thinking and are still thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I should have been a better mom. I should have been a better son on Mother's Day. I should have been a better daughter. I, should, I, I need to do more. I need to try harder. I need to... Father, may they experience and understand the radical nature of grace. The shocking, completely countercultural, completely against our experience gift of your love for them. We pray this in Christ's name.